how many countries have you traveled to? But like, really, how many countries have you traveled to? Because there's no way that anybody that listens to this podcast has traveled to more countries than Thor Peterson, who I actually came across as I was looking through Facebook. And I saw this inspirational video about a man who is traveling to all the countries of the world without the use of a plane. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really crazy. And then when I looked further into it, just his perspective on all of the nations in crisis and just countries that we would otherwise be completely petrified of ever going to and his perspective on that and that people are just people. And maybe we need to open up our world to people who may not be the same as us and understand that, yes, there are risks and there are obstacles and not everything is going to be sunshine and and roses. But if you are open to making new friends and if you are open to travel and discovery and walking the path that is not often walked, you're going to get a lot more fulfillment. So for anybody fitness-oriented, for anybody that just likes my content, this applies to you. And I hope it inspires you to chase after something that you thought that you couldn't do. And I hope that it inspires you to perhaps travel if you haven't already. Without further ado. Welcome to The Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. All right, so welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 99, and I am joined by Thor Peterson. And I know that I didn't get your like full name, but I wasn't going to try pronouncing it. I'm curious, how do you pronounce your, your first name? Yeah, hi, Chris. My full name is Torbjörn Sederluf Peterson, which is a very Nordic name, and uh, people <laughs> just can't work their way through it. So I often just go by the first part, which is uh, Tor or Thor. Yeah, I love it. So tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing for the last six plus years. Yeah, sure. But but first off, episode number 99. So close. I could have been episode number 100. I know. Congratulations so on getting Thank that you. far. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm in the process of traveling to every single country there is in the world in an unbroken journey completely without flying. That's something we discovered back in 2013 has not been done before. So I'm hoping to become the first man in history to reach all countries completely without flying, and I'm nine countries off reaching that target. So what are the nine countries that you have yet to travel to? Well, the next one I was hoping to go to is the uh, Pacific Island nation of Palau. And then there are uh, four other island nations in uh, tiny island nations in the Pacific I still need to reach. And the big ones and the last four were supposed to be New Zealand, Australia, Sri Lanka and Maldives. But I might have to shuffle all of that around a bit now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, One thing that really stood out to me when I was kind of doing my research on you was your sentiment of people are people. Like no matter what nation you go to, no matter what ethnicity, what background, what culture, like people are people. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, absolutely. So when I left home, I was just focused on reaching the countries and I didn't care too much about neither the countries, the cultures or the people. Somewhat, of course, but I really just wanted to get through this and do it fast. And uh, I had to slow down early on because I was so surprised to see how friendly people there were towards who I am and how much help and assistance I was getting, uh, translations, a uh, cup of coffee, a place to sleep, a meal, all this stuff. And uh, I guess a couple of weeks into this project, I really realized how connected and how similar we are around the world. And the more I went around and the more I went to completely different parts of the planet, different continents, uh, I just saw the same things. Um, you know, People taking care of their families, people taking selfies, getting stuck in traffic and talking about... Donald Trump and, and all of these things. 
seems to be universal. I love that. What which country caught you by surprise the most? What nation kind of made you rethink how you see the world? Mm, that's an interesting question. I don't know if there's any country that really, really caught me by surprise like that. I guess, you know, maybe some of the more closed off countries. When I went to Cuba, um, I, w- I was hoping to see the old fashioned Cuba and, and to some extent it was still there. But you were still seeing people with smartphones, although uh, they didn't have internet connections. They were using smartphones to take photos and listen to music and stuff like that. And then North Korea was quite surprising as well, because it seems to be a country where everyone knows the name of the country and everyone who has a story about uh, North Korea would be a negative story primarily. But but being there, it was very clear again that parents were holding the hands of their children. And while the parents wouldn't speak to you because there would be repercussions, uh, children were still children and they were waving and smiling and stuff like that. And then what about your experience in traveling like in the Middle East and Africa? Yeah, well, same, same experience in in terms of people. Um, Africa is a massive continent. It's the second largest continent we have on the planet. And it has 54 countries, which is a massive amount of countries. It means every fourth country in the world is in Africa. And it's the most diverse continent we have on the planet. It took a long time to get through the continent. It took two years and three months. And I met so many people and people were absolutely amazing. Um, again, just being invited uh, into people's homes and playing with the children and learning what life is on the ground. It's really amazing. In the Middle East, I would say, is probably the most hospitable part of the planet. The, um, the way that people, they treat foreigners in the Middle East is phenomenal. Um, you, it's impossible to pay for anything and you're truly a, a guest of honor. I, I love that you are able to outline that because I think sometimes we forget that people are people and that uh, there there's so much value that we can get from, from opening our world to people who live in other areas of the world or people who are from different areas of the world. Has anything changed you, who you are from, from your travel experiences? Like, let's say you started off your trip. How, how do you reflect on yourself differently now than you did like maybe a decade ago? Well, it's been a pretty rough project. Uh, certainly some patches have been uh, uh, very difficult to overcome. And I've had a lot of reason to pack up and uh, head home, but I haven't. And I feel like I might have been through some of the worst parts of my entire life within this project. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing to have in your life, something that has been really tough or even dangerous at times, because you can always look back at it and use it as a point of reference and say, well, I was able to come through that and reach the other side. So I can probably get through this as well. Um, and so I see that as a tool. I think that's very helpful. Uh, something else I think I've learned from the project is that I don't think media is, is lying. Well, sometimes it is. But, but generally, I think media is just very narrow in what the media is showing us. And I guess I knew that before leaving home. But it's interesting to see it with your own eyes, uh, how different the world is compared to what we're being shown in movies and TV and what we're talking about around the coffee table. So all of that stuff is something. It's so true. So, like, if we take a time machine and we go back to, like, say when you were, like, 10, 15 years old, what was your life like then? Like, what, what did you think you were going to do when you grew up? And, like, where were you in that, that time in your life? Well, I think there was a big difference uh, in regards to what I thought when I was 10 and when I was 15. When I was 10, I was probably still considering if there was any way I could become a ninja. Ha. And when I was uh, when I was 15, um, I really wanted to become a, a businessman. I wanted to go to business school, maybe become a salesperson or someone in an office and, and that kind of stuff, uh, following uh, the track of my father. And uh, the world was open. I was uh, dreaming about doing a round-the-world trip, but never thinking that I would go to every single country in the world. So what, what kind of career path did you follow when you like, finished up your, your high school and stuff? Like, what, what kind of track did you go before you did this whole travel thing? Well, I was, uh, I was 
drafted to the military business school, um, which when I got that degree, it would be the equivalent to, uh, of a bachelor's degree within uh, shipping and logistics. And um, before going out and getting a job, I was drafted to the military and I served uh, a year in Denmark. And then uh, they offered me a contract for international duty. So I did two year contract and I was sent to East Africa where I served with the United Nations in Eritrea and Ethiopia. I came back home and wanted to see if I could get a traineeship at a shipping company. Uh, but the timing was bad. So I went and became a ski instructor for a few months and uh, then I applied again and I became a shipping trainee and then I worked 12 years within shipping and logistics. So that's been my career for many years. I was the guy who worked uh, abroad. They would send me to Libya where I was for two, two years. I was a year in Bangladesh. I worked in Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan in the Arctic Circle in Greenland. Worked in Florida for a while, a number of European countries. And then in 2013, we started building this project, and about 10 months later, I left home. That's so crazy. What was the light bulb moment that made you want to build the project in the first place? Was it something somebody said or something that happened to you in your life? Yes, my family sent me an email, and there was a link. I clicked on it, and I was reading about travel and world travelers and modern world travelers. And uh, I was very inspired by that. I was talking to my friends about it, but I had a career at the time, and had my girlfriend back home, and there was nothing in the cards showing that I'll go out and do this. But the more I obsessed about uh, the element of reaching every country in the world, I, um, I discovered that no one had done it completely without flying, and I thought that was really, really interesting. And I just I got stuck on that. And I've, then I started looking into it. Would it be something I could do? Do I have what it takes, and what would it cost, and how would you do it? How would you go about it logistically and all these things? And it was sort of a 2013, and certainly in Europe, was a, was a time where it wasn't all that easy to find a job. There was a bit of a slump in the economy. And I figured maybe the timing was good. I'd go out and do something like this. It would take me a few years and uh, come back home and the market would be different. And I'd just continue working and I'd have that experience as well. But then, uh, yeah, of course, it's been more than six years now and it's looking like a seven-year project. So it's taken that much more so with it being such a long-term project and you not knowing exactly what you were signing up for, how has that impacted like any of your like personal relationships and stuff? Well, I certainly see that some people have stopped writing me and uh, yeah, some relationships, uh, they're, they're not as strong as they used to be. Some of them have disappeared. At the same time, I have new friends and uh, I've, I've made a lot of connections through this and uh, some of the well, actually, I've been surprised. Some some of my very good friends are now even better friends, and that's amazing. And some people, which I didn't expect, I would be hearing much from. They are much closer to me now than they, what they were before. And the girlfriend I had back then, uh, we got engaged in Kenya. She came out to visit me for the tenth time in Kenya, and I brought her up on top of Mount Kenya, which is the second highest mountain in all of Africa and put a ring on her finger so we're engaged now and that's good as well that's incredible so it's like a very uh dynamic long distance relationship like how what do you do to keep that strong i yeah it's a very good question i think we're very honest with each other and there's a lot of trust she's been out to visit me plenty we communicate a lot we communicate every day when possible uh, it's not that difficult to communicate at a distance today because of technology and every country's got Wi-Fi and we've got all our apps and so on. So, yeah, we're able to stay in touch, but this is the monster of long-distance relationships. We certainly didn't expect it would be taking this long. Has there ever been moments where she like tried to tell you to end the project and just come back home? Or how does that work for the two of you? No, she's, she's never said that. She's never done that. She's very, very supportive. But I'm, I'm fairly sure that she wouldn't mind if, if I ended the project and came back home. She would probably much rather wake up to me in the next to me in the morning um, than, than have this online long-distance relationship. But she's very supportive. And I think she also knows that if, if I was to give up, uh, then I might grow bitter someday. And... There are nine countries left now, so let's just get this done. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that unconditional support is important, and I just, I, I can agree. Like, you're so close now. Like, you might as well just tough it out. What are the? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. What, what are the three biggest moments of like adversity that you've faced? If you can like reflect on just three in, in your journey so far. Uh, well, so I'm from Denmark. We speak Danish in my country, and, and English is my second language. Could you just give me that word, adversity? What does that mean? Oh, um, just obstacles and just things that, that are difficult that uh, you face that kind of hold you back. Okay, I see. Well, I generally break that into three categories. I say that it's the logistics. It's uh, maybe an island nation where there are no ferries. and uh, You need to find a way to get out there. Or maybe it's a conflict zone and you need to navigate that. And then it's bureaucracy. That can be a number of different things. It's typically uh, visas or travel permits, but it could also be company policies in terms of you need to get on board a container ship or immigration, immigration policies for some countries. And then at this point, this far, because people, they do look at this project and say, well, you're so lucky you're living the dream and uh, I, I wish I could travel for seven years of my life and so on. But you'd, you'd have to recognize that most people that go traveling for, and are free and travel wherever they want, they don't last much more than a year or a year and a half. Then it's not fun anymore. Then they've seen enough waterfalls and they've been to enough temples and that kind of stuff. They want to go home. And then they might go traveling again someday. I've been out here for more than six years. And it's a mental exercise not to go to the airport and say enough is enough. Yeah. So what has to be a constant in your life for you to kind of like keep that stability or sanity or like just be, have some consistency to, to your life? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, I think my, uh, my fiance is uh, like my anchor or my rock. That's something I'm, I can connect to and uh, that, that keeps me sane. I... I'm looking at it as a the project. I'm looking at it as a uh, tunnel of countries, and with nine countries left, it seems like there might be light at the end. Now, there's this uh, virus outbreak. Um, I'm in Hong Kong right now, and there's a virus outbreak in in neighboring China, um, and uh, that's really causing problems for the project because a lot of the countries that I'm trying to visit, they're now installing travel bans. And uh, that means I can't sail to those countries. So there's always something that I'm, I'm trying to fight. And I get a lot of support from the online community that helps me as well, but also just trying to keep the eye on the ball. Absolutely. What are the biggest ways that your online community has been able to help you in, in the journey so far? Well, a lot of uh, them are very kind in terms of donations. So that's always helpful. But for the most part, it's uh, nice comments or it's uh, referring me to people, giving me contacts or coming up with ideas, how I can solve the problem and stuff like that. They're very, very supportive. Have you ever had uh, negative feedback through through the online space? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> definitely, I guess there's always those people out there. And as the project grows, my, my social media is quite humble. I don't have all that many followers. But as it grows, it does reach more people. And uh, just yesterday, some people were uh, writing that uh, after almost seven years, six years away from home now, definitely my fiance is cheating on me. Oh. Someone else was commenting, saying that uh, it's a waste of time. I will never be the first to visit all countries in the world. It's already been done, and uh, I'm stupid, and this kind of thing. So, yeah, some of it's pretty harsh. But for the most part, it's just people saying that it's an inspirational journey, and I should keep on, and uh, they feel motivated, and they like seeing a different view of the world, and a lot of nice stuff. I agree. Like It, it is very like motivating and inspirational and i think a lot of people need to have travel or at least um opening up their world to other perspective as as a facet to their life um what what do you have to do to bulletproof yourself against the inevitable comments about like um just infidelity and and stuff with with you and your fiance like that that's pretty harsh and personal but like how do you uh how do you let that uh bounce off of you yeah, I don't know. I don't think I worked it out yet. I, I have in no way been trained to handle that kind of stuff. 
uh, I led a fairly normal life prior to this project. So as this kind of stuff sneaks into the project, I'm, I'm trying to work out how am I going to handle it. Um, probably my skin needs to be a little bit thicker and just brush it off and go like, you, you can't please everyone. And uh, when you have trolls out there, they always say, don't feed the trolls. And I think that's sound advice. But, but it is just one of those things in life. If you go into uh, your boss's office and your boss tells you 19 good things about you and one thing which you can improve, you go home and you think about that one thing you can improve. And if I get a million nice comments and then someone writes something horrible, I have a tendency to remember that horrible thing. So I don't know how to deal with that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I believe that it's something that everybody faces, and especially like for for me, I come from the fitness space, and as a fitness professional grows, they they tend to get all kinds of mixed feedback, and there's a lot of competition out there, and so yeah, it's about focusing on like you know what we have to be grateful for, and what we know to be the good things, and having that strong communication. And, uh, yeah, just not uh, feeding the trolls. That is so true. Just don't feed the trolls. <laughs> it's, it's a good point. I guess, uh, yeah, like you say, just to keep focused. But I think it's also important to do some sort of personal time management and say, where do you want to invest your time? Do you want to invest your time where you get some positive feedback and where you're moving forward? Or do you want to invest a lot of your time in, in things that are holding you back? And it should probably be the first. That's so true. So when I was watching some of your videos and posts, like it seemed you had a lot of trouble with uh, border crossing when you're in Africa. Like what all happened? Like, can you tell us a bit more about that journey? Yeah, sure. So, so Africa, I, I, I guess for most people, Africa is this big unknown. Uh, most people really don't know Africa and what it is. And as I said earlier, it's, it's 54 countries. That's a whole lot of countries. That's more than every fourth country on this planet. There's massive diversity. And I would break it down like this. From 54 countries, I'd say that at least 40 countries, it's like going to Thailand or something like that. It's so easy and it's so friendly and it, uh, it would just be amazing. There's so much to do and you wouldn't have any problems. You wouldn't have any problems that you wouldn't run into in Thailand in any case. And there are about 10 countries that are super complicated. Um, anyone in a uniform just sort of becomes the devil and uh, lots of checkpoints and maybe the visas are difficult and whatnot. But you could go and feel reasonably safe. Um, but it's a lot harder than, than the other 40 countries. And then, then, then there's about four countries where I would say that's a no-go zone. Uh, those are countries that are conflicted uh, or, or in other ways um, just not advisable to visit um, currently. And those are also wonderful countries with lots of history and nice people and whatnot. And hopefully they'll enjoy peace in the future and, and you'll be able to go. So that's my breakdown of, of Africa. And the hard time was with the, those 14 countries, the four countries where you basically shouldn't go uh, unless you absolutely have to. And uh, those 10 countries with uh, lots of uniforms and checkpoints. And uh, yeah, so sometimes it was racism. Sometimes I'd be in the bus and we'd be 80 people in the bus and I would be the only one that looks like I don't belong. And I would be the only one that pull out of the bus and gets interrogated. And the machine just keeps going until you pay something. Um, however, I've had this strict rule that I don't want to bribe anyone. I don't want to be a part of a corruption. So I'm sure sometimes I could have given 10 US dollars and they would have let me go almost instantly. But I stuck it out. And that meant that sometimes I had to fight for days or weeks or months even that's crazy what what's been the most scared you felt like maybe a moment that stands out during this journey well there's there's a story from central africa there are a few interesting countries there cameroon is the country where this happened cameroon is a wonderful country they call that the africa in miniature and it has so much going for it and um, I happen to be in the south of Cameroon, which is close to Congo. And uh, it's a little bit more rough territory. It was in the middle of the night. I um, paid a taxi driver to take me to the border. And we'd been going through jungle in the middle of the night for many, many hours. It was super dusty. And it was just us and the uh, headlights, the headbeams from the car going through the dust in the night. And then suddenly there were three shadows and we had to break for them. And these were men in uniforms and they were drunk 
out of their mind. And uh, they were waving uh, their guns around. They were armed to their teeth. And we were commanded out of the car. And they didn't take much interest in the driver, but certainly in me. And from the moment that uh, one of these three uh, uniformed men saw me, you could just see fire in his eyes. He was just furious uh, for whatever reason. And he was sort of uh, the, the main cause of of danger or trouble in that moment. And every second as I stood there, I thought that would be the last second. I thought, I've seen this in movies. I've heard about these stories. Nobody knows I'm here. Uh, they're so drunk, just an accident or a mistake from their side could be the end of my life. Um, yeah, so that was a pretty horrible night and it took a long while, but I got out of it and life continues. So like, what gives you like hope in the, in those situations? Is it just blind faith, or do you have uh, do you have like a lucky rabbit's foot in, in your shoe or something? <laughs> well, in in that moment, there was no hope. There was no faith. There was just me staring at these people, trying to stay calm. There was I couldn't even think. I couldn't think of any any scenario where I could escape. I didn't believe I could run in any direction without being shot. Um, and I, I truly didn't think I was getting out of that situation. I thought it was game over. And I thought it was game over for a very, very long time. So, yeah, I guess a learning from, from this project has been always keep your head cool, stay calm, and stay focused, and don't give people any reason um, to act out. And, and I did that. I was tried to be kind. I tried to be polite. I didn't try to be funny. I didn't try to be anything. I just, just sort of tried to get through it, and I did. I think that's good rules that anybody could live by is to like be respectful and be calm and, uh, yeah, don't make jokes because you never know how that joke is going to come across. Yeah, well, you have to read the situation. That was definitely a, a no-joking situation. Absolutely. Um, so... What do you think you're going to do when you finish with all these travels? Like when you've gone to all the countries, like what's your life going to look like? Are you just going to go back to work and shipping? Are you going to do something else? Yeah, I used to think I'd go back to shipping, but now I sort of see that as plan B. Plan A now is to get back home and uh, probably sleep for a month. And then when I wake up, if I'm still not married, then we get married, start a family. And then I want to write a book and uh, share some of these stories and some of the learnings from all of this. And then uh, really what I want to do is I want to continue as a motivational speaker. I've done a lot of uh, public speaking and motivational speaking throughout this project, and I enjoy doing it, and I'm getting some really good feedback. So hopefully I can build a life on that. And if I can't, then <laughs> I go back to shipping. And like... With with your role in shipping, has that been pretty helpful in getting from from nation to nation? Like, you you travel on container ships sometimes. I was never aware that a person could do that. Is that like an inside thing, or is that what's the deal with that? Yeah, I I think that uh, coming from shipping and logistics uh, has has sort of given me a mindset for solving different problems, finding solutions, and uh, being able to juggle more than, than one thing in the air at the same time, and all of that stuff, which you need to do within that business. In terms of the container ships, it hasn't been very helpful. Not apart from that I know the names of some of the companies, but I don't know the people. I've never been on a container ship before. And uh, it's been a, knock, a lot of knocking on doors and, and being told, we can't do this, this is illegal, it can't be done because of insurance, there's no space on the boat, uh, company policy and, and whatnot. It's um, people, they see the successes. It's true that I've been on a lot of ships, but I guess it's like the guy on the dance floor and he's out there dancing and people go like, oh, he's so lucky. He's out there dancing. I'm here sitting on the bench. But he might have asked 10 women before he got a yes and went out dancing. Yeah. And I've certainly knocked on a lot of doors in order to go out and, and get on board these ships. I've been told no a lot, a lot. Out of all of the times when you've asked for a mode of transportation, what's what's the moment or the mode of transportation that took you by the surprise the most? I was uh, I was trying to leave Cuba 
back in uh, 2014, 15, 2015, early 2015. And within the project, I can't fly. So Cuba being an island, I knew I, well, swimming is maybe an option. It has been for some, but, but I needed to find a boat. And people have been trying to do that for 40 years unsuccessful. So I was quite curious how that was going to go. And I was down at the Hemingway Marina on my second day, um, asking everyone who had a boat and, and seeing what I could do and talking to the harbor master and this kind of stuff. And I spoke to this Italian captain who worked for uh, a billionaire. And uh, he, was, he was the captain of this um, high-performance yacht. It's a beautiful, beautiful vessel called the Core. And um, these people, they don't help. So the big boats with the helicopters and this kind of stuff, they don't help. It's always the, the young guys that built their own boat or fixed up a boat and they're on their life's adventure. They help. Sometimes a family will help and that kind of stuff. But the ones with all the money and there's a Ferrari or some other supercar parked out in front, they never help. You can't even get close to the boats. But in this case, he said, we live in a world where I see that less and less people are helping each other. And I don't like that, so I'm going to help you. And I ended up on that high-performance yacht, which took me to an island which is strictly for millionaires and billionaires. It was a private island in the Bahamas. And uh, we'd become friends by then, so he, he arranged for me to stay there for six days. And we just had a good time before the project continued. That's a really cool story. So what was it like being in the company of like these high performers, these people who had millions and billions of dollars at their disposal? Um, it was interesting. And they, they certainly, you know, a lot of them were very, very, a lot of them were very kind and, uh, and friendly and that they understood that uh, they weren't boasting in any way or the other, but, but just sense that they, they have different problems. I guess everyone has problems, but their, their problems are a little bit un, unrelated to what people like me deal with. And uh, on this island, I was walking around. I don't mind walking. Um, it's a small island. I could easily get from one end to the other. But I was getting these stares from people in golf carts. Like, <laughs> what the heck are you doing walking? Get a golf cart. That's crazy. Like, I I like walking. Like, walking is good for, for the body. It's good for the soul. It's reflective. If you gave me the choice, I would often walk instead of taking a golf cart. Like, do you think these people are missing out on something by uh, just wheeling around everywhere? Or uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? No, really, I just think it's a, it's a case of how things are done. I'm sure a lot of those people are as fit as can be. They have personal trainers, they maybe their own gym, or they go for a run, they go swimming and, and whatnot. I think it's just a question of there's a time and a place, and uh, those paths which they had on, on the island, they're not it's not commonplace to walk on them. That's a place that's just for transport. And for that reason, you should be in a golf cart. So I think I come and I break the norm by, by walking. And that's not always something that's, that's welcome around the world. Most people, they like that you do what, what everyone does and you get along. That's so true, but you don't get anywhere by doing everything the way everybody else does it. Like you wouldn't be on this trip if you're doing everything the way everybody else does it, you'd be on a plane or you'd be home, etc. Yeah, that's that's very true, and I fully agree. I think that you should break the norm once in a while. Um, but again, there's a time and a place. My my uncle, he told me before I went into the military, he said, I'm, I can help you. I can make it really easy. He said that there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of soldiers. Don't be the best. Don't be the worst. Just hide somewhere in the middle, and you'll go through whatever amount of months you need to serve in the military. And that's true. You can you can hide in the middle and, and life will be easier. You can get your education, you can get your job, you can get your two point whatever child and uh, and pay your bills and and just be like everyone else. And then life will be a lot easier. Um, if you're the worst, you will certainly get noticed because that will that will probably annoy a lot of people. But you could also be the best. And. That's also true. Your, your target when you're the best, or your target of envy, and you're a target of, uh, of a number of different things. However, if you are the best, that's, uh, that's where there's innovation, and that's where things, they move forward, and that's probably also where there's a lot of satisfaction. So yeah, true. yeah like, place. 
that that sense of fulfillment like you can't you can't buy fulfillment you have to seek out fulfillment and test the limits and walk the unwalked path and, and stuff like that to actually feel like full and content in life yeah so i in in denmark we have this um we had this unofficial law called the Yanti law and uh, it just came out of a book and it seems like the entire country agrees with uh, these laws and uh, one of the main laws is don't think that you're anyone uh, or anybody and don't think you're better than anyone else and i guess that law helps keep our society equal and uh, keeps everyone sort of rooted and and it's good for a number of things but it is something that's very difficult to break out of. So if you step out of line and you want to be a professional football player or a musician or you want to be something which is out of the ordinary, then life gets a little bit hard and you don't always have the support you need for it. And and that's sad, I think. So true. Well, I mean, like, I'm slightly familiar with, with Denmark. My uh, My mom's dad came from Denmark and then he moved to Canada when he was fairly young and then started the family of like my mom and my aunt and it went from there. And so he passed away when my mom was young. So I never met him, but then I got reconnected with some, some second cousins in Denmark who with the, the amazingness of technology who I can keep in contact with on Instagram and on Facebook. And so I've been to Denmark before and something that stood out to me was the the concept of uh, and I'll probably butcher the pronunciation, but the concept of uh, hugli, so like yeah, yeah. the feeling of coziness or or hominess, as we would say in Canada. What? Yeah. How would you describe that to somebody? What has hugli been for you? Well, there are, there are books on the topic, and I don't know if I'm capable of describing exactly what it is, but it is. It's a very good and warm feeling which you have sometimes alone or you have it uh, in, in other people's company. In, in Denmark, I think if you, you'd say if you, you have a lot of candle lights and you have some good food and some snacks and nice conversation and some soothing music in the background and you're really just enjoying it, then you would say that is hugili, uh, is how we pronounce it. Yeah. We've, we've got another word from uh, Denmark or from Scandinavia, which is uh, making headlines, um, which is put. It's P-Y-T, put. And uh, they argue that it's, it's nice to have that word in the vocabulary because it, it basically, basically means, oh, never mind, or that's okay, and so on. And you can just kind of work it into whichever conversation. So it, again, it doesn't, it helps release some of the pressure that you sometimes find in, in society. Like if you fail, then someone might say put, and then it's okay, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. it will, everything will continue. That's, that's a good point. Like sometimes you just have to like brush it off and move on to the next thing. When you've done your travels, um, what was your longest stay and what made it your longest stay? The longest stay within this project has been in Lebanon. Lebanon is a brilliant country. I love Lebanon for so many different reasons. I was there for 102 days, and that had nothing to do with how much I, I love Lebanon. I was there for 102 days because it was darn right hard to get a visa to go into Syria at the time. Probably still is. And uh, yeah, at least three months trying to get that visa. And then finally I got the visa, I traveled into Syria. I spent uh, three nights, I think, four days in Syria. And then there was nowhere I could go from Syria except for coming back to Lebanon. So I had a few more days in Lebanon uh, trying to get on board a ship and then getting out of the region and continuing to Jordan. So having had to stay there for so long, uh, what are like some lessons that you learned from, from kind of almost having to like make that your home? A hundred days is a long time frame. Yeah. I, I think I, I learned something I already knew, but I, I just learned it even more, which is that if you can't find the solutions, it doesn't mean that you need to give up or quit. It just means that you haven't made enough friends. You have a, your your network just isn't big enough. So I would just go out and meet more and more people and more and more people. And my network from Lebanon, and those people are networkers as it is, like they're really, really good. Uh, 
but my network grew and grew and grew. And that is uh, eventually what, what opened up the, the locked doors for me. That's like an analogy to my uh, whole podcast host experience is just like when I have one guest, then that opens up my network to have another guest. And then I uh, overcome different career obstacles and help other people overcome their obstacles. Like networking in the most like authentic way is a very powerful thing for life. Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, a key example from Lebanon wasn't so much trying to get to Syria, but when I got back to Lebanon, um, there was a container ship which was willing to take me from Lebanon. I couldn't go by land because Lebanon is surrounded mostly by Syria, which I just came from, and then uh, Israel. And uh, that relationship is pretty much on ice, uh, Lebanon and Israel. You can't cross that border. And then there's the, the ocean. So I had to sail out of there. And there are no ferries, so I needed a cargo vessel of some sort. Um, uh, and there was one, and I could come on board, and the paperwork was there and done and ready and just go. But uh, the immigration police in Lebanon disagreed. They said that you are here on a tourist visa, and tourists don't belong on a ship, and there's no negotiating, there's no doing anything. That's just impossible. It cannot be done. You cannot go on the ship. And I had a hard time understanding that, and I didn't know what to do, and the ship arrived and it was going to leave. And then by chance I found out that someone in my network, he had an uncle who was a retired general, and he sent his uh, uncle down to the port and talked to this uh, immigration police. And I got a call and said, okay, you can go down there now. And the second time I came down to the port, the tune was completely different. Everyone was smiling. Do you want tea? Oh, are you the one from Denmark? Oh, no problem. This kind of stuff. They stamped my passport and I got on the ship two hours before it left. That's hilarious. So again, I, I, I didn't solve the situation. Somebody else solved it for me. But um, yeah, so it's always, it's the network. Absolutely. So who are three people in your life that you really look up to? Mm. Well, my father is really with me in this project in many ways. So is my mother, and I love both of them. But I think within this project, my my father is a, is a strong mentor for how I should behave. And uh, you start something, then you you better complete it. And, and being my own man, my fiance is is very important to me, obviously. Uh, with all the support and love that she shows and that she gives me. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I would have been able to pull through without her. Yeah, it's important to have people like that in the journey. A third one, I don't know. Like they're historically, someone who's who lived them and died a long time ago is uh, Ibn Battuta, who uh, was a traveler from Morocco. I think from, for hundreds of years, he was the most traveled man on the planet. He was a devout Muslim and he wanted to go to Mecca for his Hajj, for his pilgrimage. And he just decided he liked traveling and he kept going. I think he traveled for 25 years and uh, traveled an insane amount of, uh, of, of distance. He went to every Arab country in the world, every Muslim country in the world. He made it from Morocco in the west northern part of Africa all the way to China um, 800 years ago, 700 years ago. Phenomenal. And uh, yeah, so that's an inspiration to me. What's been the most powerful story that you've shared with someone, either public speaking or in the media outlets, that just you found that it moved people the most? Um, twice I've had someone break down and cry when, when I've done the motivational speaking. And I think it's because I touched a nerve, because otherwise people would be crying every time. And it's always been when I talked about how people feel inspired by the project. And, and I say that everyone's struggling with something, that someone's trying to read and get their exam, or they're trying to get a job and they're applying and applying and applying. And in this case, um, there was this woman who contacted me and said everything was great in her life. She was happy, the kids were doing well, and she had a nice car in the garage, and she liked her job and friends, and everything was fine. And then someone she cared deeply about passed away, and her life was just turned upside down. Everything was gray and black, and the food tasted like ash, and she just couldn't see from one side to the other. 
and uh, she's been following this project for a long time. She's seen what I've been through, and um, and and she wrote me and said that that helped her. She knew she had to feed the children. She knew that she had to pay rent, so she had to go to work. And and my attitude of looking uh, at the bright side and always looking for a solution and never giving up and just being headstrong apparently helped her and motivated her to go from one side to the other. So she sent me a message and said thank you. That's awesome. That's that's really good feedback. If you couldn't go back to Denmark to live out the rest of your life, assuming that Denmark would be your final like place of residence, where what nation would you settle down in? I would have to go to Iceland. And it's not necessarily because Iceland is the best country in the world. I don't think I have a, a best country in the world. But, but Iceland is a great base for a lot of things. First of all, it's a modern country, so you would never miss out on anything. You'd get the newest phone if that's what you wanted. You would be able to watch the latest movie and, and all that stuff. It's uh, it's a nice green country, and they green energy, and uh, they're pretty much equal rights, and the most equal country in the world, I think. And it's full of adventure. They have volcanoes, and they've got rivers and waterfalls and hiking. The population is small, and all that stuff is good. But that's not why I would pick Iceland. The, there's the attitude that they have up there that it's okay to be different. It seems like in Iceland, more than anywhere else I've been in the world, they support those oddballs out there, the ones that break out and say, I want to do this or I want to do that. And, uh, and instead of just being left in the cold, it seems that people get a lot of support for following their dreams or, or just being different. I love that. That's a great reason to go to go to a nation. That's kind of like what I'm all about is like supporting people's differences and uh, sort of elevating what what sets people apart in a way that would inspire others to be themselves. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. So if you had one piece of advice to give someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? I think it's important to believe in yourself. It's it's very important to have good friends, and uh, it's, it's important to be educated, and there are a number of things that are important. But I really think it's important that you believe in yourself. Um, a lot of people say don't measure yourself with other people, measure yourself with yourself. See where you came from and, and where you are now and where you're going. And I think there's some real truth to that. I think if if you look at social media and you see all these people with 100,000 followers or a million followers and you look at your own account and you go, why do I have 100 or 200 or 1,000? Um, then, you know, that's not leading anywhere, really. Like, just look at where you, where you came from. If you're looking at yourself in terms of, of losing weight and you see what, what your weight was a few months ago and what it is now, that's much, much more helpful, uh, especially if it's going the right way then it is looking at uh, fitness models uh, on TV and, and that kind of stuff. And also your career and your salary and a number of things. I think just trust that you have what you need to move forward. You have the tools and measure life through yourself. I love that. That's awesome. Um, if you could identify three things that you're the most proud of in the last week, what would those three things be? Oh, the last week. I think on a day-to-day -day basis these days, I'm proud that I haven't given up. Um, I've been given more reason lately to look for the airport and, and head home, and I haven't done that. Uh, in, in general, I'm just very, very content with that there have been so many obstacles within this project. There have been so many dead ends or seemingly dead ends, and yet I'm nine countries from reaching the target now, and that means that I never folded. There was nothing which stopped the project. There was nothing which could not be overcome. I guess those are those are two things. I don't know if I have three for you. That's okay. When you get to the final nation, what's the first thing that you're going to do? <laughs> I'm probably going to cry. I imagine it's going to be very emotional. It's It's been stressful, and... Uh, it's like a heavy load to wonder if you're going to reach your goal, if you're going to 
get to those last countries. And when I get to the last country, I imagine it will just be gone. Like I'll never again have to wonder, will I get the visa? Will I find the ship? Uh, will I be able to carry on? Do I have enough time in my life to do this? Because it will be done. Are you going to jump on a plane or are you going to find a way to go back home by sea? I, I would say if there's any kind of emergency, I'm free to go to the airport and fly home. And if I'm sick and tired of everything, I might go to the airport and fly home. However, I hope that I'll be true to the project and go home over land and sea. And there's also the element of if I want to be able to say I went to every country in the world completely without flying, then that's untrue if I fly home because I never went to Denmark. I went from Denmark without flying. So in order to to say that sentence, I would have to travel to Denmark without flying as well. I love it. So if people want to learn more about you and your journey, what's what's the best way for them to find you? Well, we named the project Once Upon a Saga. It's like saying once upon a time, but instead of time, we use the old Viking word saga, S-A-G-A, once upon a saga. And you can put that into Google and then lots of stuff will pop up. But it's also on Instagram, on Facebook. Those are the two most popular accounts. There's Twitter, there's YouTube, and there's a weekly blog. That's awesome. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending all this time with me, telling me about your journey, and uh, wishing you all the best of luck as it uh, comes to a close, hopefully, in the next year. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be part of it. Thank you for listening to this episode. It was super cool to connect to sort of like part of my my heritage. Like I am I'm born in Canada, but like any non-indigenous Canadian, there are pieces of that puzzle that make up who I am, and one quarter of that would be Danish heritage. And so to talk to Thor and be able to hear his experiences and see his perspective and talk about Hugli I, I butcher pronunciation. Clearly, I am very much an Albertan Canadian. However, I got a lot out of that conversation. And if you got a lot out of that episode, I would strongly encourage you to share it with a friend. Perhaps go onto iTunes, give it a rating. And if all else fails, just check out another episode, hear somebody else's story, and have yourself a good day. We'll catch you next time.